Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Beyond the, he- Beyond the Headlines, this is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight with Mi Tianwei. World leaders are gathering in New York for the 78th session of the UN General Assembly under the theme Rebuilding Trust and Reigniting Global Solidarity, Accelerating Action on the 2030 Agenda and its Sustainable Development Goals Towards Peace, Prosperity, Progress and Sustainability for All. UN Deputy Secretary General Amina Mohammed read the opening remarks of the UNGA on behalf of the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. She warned of a world beset by challenges and division. The year 2023 marks the midpoint of the UN's 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. With development gains being reversed by multiple global crises, urgent action is needed to achieve the SDGs. The UN 2030 SDG Summit will convene on September the 18th to the 19th. World leaders will carry out a comprehensive review on the state of the 17 Sustainable Development Goals and provide political guidance on transformative and accelerated actions toward the target year of 2030. And here is my exclusive interview with UN Deputy Secretary General Amina Mohammed during her China visit. Madam Deputy Secretary General, what a pleasure to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be here. You, years ago, led the process of a global discussion that eventually resulted in the agreement to work on sustainable development and the 17 goals. Now, we are already at the midpoint. So where are we now in terms of achieving these 17 goals? Well, it was an amazing framework um, of 17 goals. It was one that took four years for us to come up uh, with this agenda. Where are we today? Unfortunately, not in a good place. Um, The statistics that we have show that around the world that we've only managed to attain 12% of the goals. And there are many reasons for this. But primarily, it is a time when we will say we are off track. Uh, We're off track on poverty, we're off track on access to health, to education. And from the time that we had COVID, from the time that we've seen extreme climate events, uh, also the war in Ukraine, this has exacerbated our ability to catch up with the goals and to implement them in countries. So while we see progress in some, we overall halfway through are off track. What are some of the points that you personally are looking at very closely, almost on a daily basis? I think the um, equality goal is important, the gender goal is important, because the framing of the SDGs was always around um, a core that we leave no one behind. There is no discrimination, there are no vulnerable groups that get forgotten, um, and that women uh, who are half of our populations and youth, in many cases, many developing countries, over 70%, are included in the benefits and the impacts of investing in the SDGs. So I I look at them really closely. 
um, because with those, every other part of the agenda matters, whether it is poverty, health, industrialization, uh, the climate agenda, uh, financing, these all come together in one, um, one aspiration, one promise to the people by 2030. There is a problem. Rhetoric's always louder than actions. Yes. And sometimes rhetoric's louder than realities. And that is a big problem we are facing today. Madam uh, Deputy Secretary General, I know you have been working very hard on that. What is the current solution that you see together with your colleagues? 2030 Agenda has always been a multilateral endeavor. It's about the world coming together. Um, I always say that the UN is our global town hall for the global village. And what we need is more solidarity, unity of purpose. And this purpose for the framing of the SDGs makes it possible. So we need to talk more, we need to invest, we need to understand that one pain in, in one part of the world is exactly the same way someone's feeling, feeling that pain in another side of the world. And that to be excluded from a life that gives you dignity, that gives you hope, is, is not acceptable today. So I think that the things that we need to do, our governments need to come together to live up to the promises of their people, their rights, their expectations. Business needs to participate because they do drive uh, for the jobs, they drive the economies. We need to see civil society better engaged in finding solutions, young people. So everyone's got a part to play and each country is different. This is what's exciting about the SDGs is that you place it in its context. Now some countries are doing quite well when you say an enabling environment. Others are not. There are humanitarian crises, there's a climate crisis for the islands. There are very many uh, different tensions where you don't invest in development, you have conflict. So you will see that in, in Africa, um, in many places in Southeast Asia, you have got discontent and you've got uh, conflicts. And, and these are the things that we need to, to find a way to use the SDGs to deal with the root causes of much of what we um, have not been able to achieve for people and, of course, the planet. Mm. Where is China on all of this? <laughs> Up front and center. I have <laughs> to tell you that um, when we were designing the goals, China was actually slightly ahead. They had developed their 10-year plan, yes. and at the center of it were the SDGs. So they had an early start. Um, and I think here you've been able, uh, with the scale of things, to get quite far down the road on many of the goals, or the poverty goal uh, for sure, and education, access to education. And so doing well, um, and doing well at scale. This is what China demonstrates to countries who feel that um, they have not been able to get across to everyone. Yeah. Uh, this is a country that uh, knows how to invest in the scale of things. When you say everyone, then, you know, have you got a city that is inclusive? Um, is it everyone who's getting an education? Children that are no, children of the nomads, how are they being brought into education? And I think this has been a demonstration, yeah. Mm. According to the Sustainable Development the 17 Goals, uh, China is very excited to working on this agenda. The many people you've been talking to, I'm sure they have been giving you the feedback. Meanwhile, the Chinese government has also providing the Chinese version of how to do it, for example, sustainable for the Global Development Initiative, a Global Security Initiative, a Global Civilization Initiative, and the list goes on. How do you see these uh, genuine efforts uh, coming from China, the largest developing country? I think these are very important. We see the framing of many initiatives and the initiatives in China are framed around the SDGs. So it, it makes it much easier to communicate in countries that China partners with in the developing world to, to try to see how you invest in infrastructure, how you're going to invest um, in business, 
and it, it doesn't really matter which initiative as long as the attainment of the SDGs um, are there. Now we've seen some very good examples of China's investment in the uh, data centers. Yes. A lot of what we don't have is baseline data. So if you don't know where you're coming from, how do you know where you're going? So the SDG Spatial Data Center, which I saw here, um, is one of four around the world, but is the one that is connecting the world. It's not just for China. And what we saw there was its ability to, to, to connect across different countries where the UN is, uh, so that we help other countries to frame with spatial data the evidence that they need, the science, the baselines on ecosystems, for instance, or cities. So, you know, many initiatives that are coming out of China and they are shared. And I think that this is what is important, is the ability to share knowledge, um, experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, it encourages other countries to know it can happen, it can be done. Well, Madam uh, Deputy Secretary General, I'm very impressed uh, by all of the work uh, that you and your colleagues are doing here in China in terms of cooperation, including many of the things you are talking about. The other thing, Madam uh, Deputy Secretary General, is the multipolar world we are facing today. So what does that mean? for financing for development, to deal with climate crisis and many other issues. Where are governments? Where are businesses? And do we see the synergy between them? I've been talking to business leaders around the world and I see there's still something that needs to be done, but I would love to have your input. Well, we're halfway through the SDGs and, and we will come to New York to uh, gather leaders and tell us where we are. We are missing goal 17 badly, the means of implementation, so finance, what we do in trade, what we do in technology, um, and the capacity to deliver. It's unfortunate we made a promise, but we haven't paid for it. And part of that is to bring the finances to those countries that don't have, sometimes in more concessional terms. It's not a, just a grant. Mm -hmm. You are borrowing, but you're borrowing at a rate that everybody else is. And this hasn't happened. And so what the United Nations has done is that the Secretary General has offered a framework for what we can do in the medium term to get financing for education, for health, uh, for industrialization, uh, for the climate agenda, by saying that, you know, this is an SDG stimulus that can provide financing to address the debt, because debt has that, that many countries have today, it's not because um, they were bad managers, but the impact of COVID the impact of the war in Ukraine, interest rates went up. What you did not expect, now you have to deal with. You have to make choices between whether you're going to pay for health or education. It should not be a choice. So countries need to have debt relief. Uh, they need to be restructured. And, and that's one part of it. The second part is existing institutions like the World Bank, the African Development Bank, the Asian Development Bank, multilateral development banks, should be able to use more their balance sheets bring more money into the banks. You need to restructure in terms of making it better and more efficient, uh, using uh, innovative instruments like the special drawing rights mm -hmm. that we can get rechanneled. That can leverage the private sector, it can leverage more public sector money. So you can bring more resources in the immediate term, and this is possible. The Paris meeting uh, you know, demonstrated what the possibilities were, we just didn't get the political will to move it. And then more importantly, we have to know that the UN that was um, designed to re respond to the world um, and its needs and to prevent another war in 1945, the financial systems that were set in 75 years ago are no longer fit for purpose. And so we're offering again, how can we restructure the financial architecture 
and that will mean looking at the way one participates in their quotas and so forth. Yeah. So what you are saying is very clearly seems to be coincides with what Secretary General has always been saying. The international governance is so much lacking behind the reality. It's, yes, yes. Yeah. it's not fit for purpose. It is not accessible. Um, it's morally unjust. It just does not do what it's supposed to do. Um, and that is to provide resources for the very basics of um, a person's right uh, to development, a person's right to education and health. And you know, when countries are prevented from doing this because a, the design of a financial system prevents them, it gives different standards for different parts of the world, this is morally bankrupt. It, it cannot continue. If these are important points, so how is the UN working with different stakeholders? In other words, uh, trying to bring this into the momentum mm -hmm. because there is always an issue of speed, isn't it? Everything is incredibly urgent. You cannot tell someone who doesn't see a meal tomorrow that you're going to come back to their issue in two, three weeks' time or a couple of months. They need to know tomorrow. Yes. So uh, um, what we are doing is working with governments. We are a member state organization. We try to encourage governments around policies that, uh, and, and initiatives that we put on the table. And that's where we say the SDG stimulus to the G20, so that when that, those countries take decisions, they do with a sense of urgency on the debt framework, on um, rechanneling SDRs, doesn't take more than a day or two to decide. Uh, and we know- And yet they take years already. Well, I have to say that it's very frustrating for us when we see um, countries can um, approve 400 billion to bail out a bank but they can't find a hundred billion for several countries to leverage another four five hundred billion in order to have people's lives and our environment protected. You've been making a very efficient trip, packing so many things into a few days because you want to have a great understanding about what's going on and meeting your counterparts. Tell me about your takeaway so far. Well, this trip was always set to um, appreciate the role and the partnership of China with the United Nations over the decades, with a focus on climate, the SDGs, and financing. But it was always my belief that, look, China is beyond Beijing. Yes. There's a country out there with uh, millions of people, and the things that you've been saying that you've been doing. So why don't we actually engage with that so people get a sense of what this means? So meeting with the business community in Shanghai, amazing young women who are around the table talking about technology and the digital era that we're facing. Of course, many challenges. We have produced a digital compact that looks to protect people in that space, um, people's rights, people, children, um, all of those things were discussed there. Business was there for the SDGs as well. The UN Global Compact um, convenes a huge community of business leaders and what they're doing uh, for the principles of um, getting to net zero, how businesses can green themselves. And I saw that in practice as I moved um, to Ordos, uh, to the Kabuchi Desert Initiative, yes. which is amazing, because it was about restoration. Restoration of the desert um, with a seed bank of over 1,040 plant species. Um, of course, it's taken decades and commitment. But what you saw there was going beyond afforestation and claiming back the desert. You saw that solar power panels were put out there on renewables. You have the largest investment in solar um, in the world and we saw that happening in real time. Looking at solar panels and saying lift them off the ground underneath we can create greenhouses so there's livestock, there's, there's food security. This is important for the communities. Seeing that many nomadic children, I come from a nomadic family, so to see children 
from nomads go into schools that you and I would go to. So the hope for a child that could come from the desert but be able to reach their potentials. Yes. That's what we saw in practice. And it's also very heartwarming, I guess. Oh, it is. I mean, you know, hundreds of children. Um, what else did we see? Scale. I mean, China is, you know, it's about the scale of issues. You have a population, so when you say you want to reach everyone, you're talking about millions of people. Um, and so the industrial complexes that we saw that want to go to net zero, uh, you have battery plants uh, and, and, and of course how um, industrial um, complexes, which are huge, will actually be green. We saw solar panels, which are international companies coming to work um, here. And, and I think that this shows that in the remaining years to the SDGs, we're not there yet. There's still a lot to do, but the potential to do it, the glass is some full, and now we should talk about how to fill it. Um, and I think that here, it's not just about China, it's about how we bring the, the world together to do it. South-South Corporation is going to be incredibly important. Uh, Signalling to the G20, partnerships have to, at least in development, that we need not to instrumentalise them, to politicise them, because people's lives matter. Uh, the planet that is facing an existential threat with climate change matters. And, and those are things that we need to see as a priority. How do you see you know, your visit to China could help to advance the momentum as we are in the midpoint uh, reaching this sustainable development goal. But also we are in the midpoint of really realizing all of the goals that we have ahead of us. Very important for China's leadership to be present, uh, to be at the SDG summit, to exchange all of these efforts that have been made uh, for China, but also the partners. There are many partnerships, you mentioned the initiatives that China is taking uh, for development, uh, for infrastructure, even when we talk about uh, energy, the transitions on energy. Um, so it is important for us to demonstrate that and to show what commitments you're making when you get round the table on debt relief. How are you supporting countries uh, to find a way not to forgive, but to restructure so that they can have some fiscal space, some resources to deal with funding uh, their, their deficits right now for health, for education. Uh, so we, we, we do expect to see leaders from China uh, in government, in business, in academia, in civil society, all participating. It's important that this is an agenda for everyone and that all voices are heard with what they have to offer. It's important to share the challenges. I mean, clearly, when I've seen some of the initiatives here, it's not all easy. You can produce renewables, but you have to say, how do you connect this to the grid? Indeed. It's not easy to see an exit from fossil fuels. Coal has been necessary to build many nations, but we have to exit coal. And how do we do that in a way that is just um, and that has, you know, a time must be, uh, we must have a timeline because we are seeing a 1.5 degree world disappear if we don't put timelines and commit to them. Uh, so I, I, I hope to see that China is there in the collective um, and uh, in a leadership role, pushing. The Paris Agreement would not have come uh, to be if we didn't see two, three major powers come together uh, to give us the ambitions for Paris. Right now, we need the ambition to deliver, to implement. How to push for an international cooperation? How to nurture you know, the efforts for all of this? I'm sure that's on your mind every day. We convene. We convene, that's our job. Yes. We bring the most unexpected people around the table into a hall around an issue. My visit this time was not just about going to the field and speaking with business, it was also about speaking with different parts of government. 
as we spoke to the environment minister um, and to see okay how far are you going with your NDC what does it mean for you um, to speak with um, ministers that will deal with the critical minerals that are needed for the future so it, it is about convening different countries around the table I mean you have had in the last week that I've been here many visitors the Prime Minister of Barbados a small island um, that has a big voice yes. and has really has made inroads into making demands for the least um, uh, least privilege is in China having discussions with the leadership so it is about the United Nations and multilateralism international cooperation essential that we look for the common good we will always disagree and sometimes will be worse than others but if we can find those common threads because that's what we need for a more peaceful and prosperous world the resources are there they should be able to accommodate everyone but often they don't often we leave a lot of people out we are celebrating a couple of years ago 75 years of the UN and we put on the table an offer these are the areas that we need to rethink a new de a peace for de uh, uh, deal for peace a new financial architecture a digital compact this year we'll be 75 years on our human rights charter where are we on that as a human family around the world can we make the inroads to make sure we don't leave anyone behind so these are the things that we stand for and I think that um, the young generation now will shape the new corporation the new international family building on the foundations that um, many of us have, have tried to build Madam Deputy Secretary General, I know you have been putting tremendous efforts in nurturing the younger generation, as you said at the very beginning of our conversation, as well as women's role to, for gender equity around the world. Um, how do you see that is woven into many of the priority you just uh, uh, illustrated? How do we see the encouraging progress that's already happening? How can we be more mobilized? Well, we certainly need to be in more positions of leadership. I often say to women, once you get into the space and occupy it, hold on to it, um, but bring more women in. And, and in the UN, when the Secretary General first came, he said, we have to have parity in management. Uh, why? Because women do bring a different perspective to the table. We bring everyone in, and then there is focus, and we get on with it, both men and women. So it, it's important to see us not just in numbers, but in decision-making uh, opportunities access to education that gets you through a career path that puts you in science that puts you in technology um, and I think these are places where we're still struggling um, but I think the more we see women and the aspirations uh, you you and I know that we take the family with us we don't go alone um, and I think that this is what is important is to bring those perspectives we need more visibility we need more decision-making um, and I think that we also need more access to resources so that we too can become CEOs, we too can grow. Um, and, and that I think is becoming more of a reality. Um, but uh, perhaps what we need to see now is many more presidents that are women um, leading countries. We've seen some and where we saw them in the time of COVID, they're the ones who took the best decisions. Um, we need to see um, women heading up the African Development Bank uh, the World Bank, the United Nations, that's what we want to see, that's the future. But we also want to see younger people. Um, and I'm often saying that because I have six children of my own and, and four <laughs> grandchildren. And I know they so, you know, when are you going to retire? Well, there is a life cycle and I will move aside and, and young people will need to fill that. And um, we have to all remember we were young once.
and there was a sense of urgency and we want to get there now and I think we have to encourage that um, and this world young people are much more connected there is technology uh, they have many more skills that they can access at their fingertips and uh, I think that we should power them we should enable them um, we should partner with them uh, and, and they are sometimes got better answers than we have Madam Deputy Secretary General what a pleasure thank you it was an honor to be here thank you so much that's my exclusive interview with Amina Mohammed, Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations, during her trip to China. With that, we are coming to the end of today's World Insight. On behalf of my team, I'm Tian Wei. Bye for now. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world.